Welcome to the Painted Target Podcast. Episode 16, the Painted Target Podcast. I'm Jason at Aware Integrate on Twitter, and I'm here with Nick again. He's been on the podcast multiple times. He's at Fallen Shadow OF, or did I already mess that up even though we just talked about it? No, you nailed it. All right, cool. I always get the shadow or the fallen, which I can't remember which one's first, but all right, good to go. So, Episode 16, we're calling it The Meaning of Happiness. So this podcast is kind of motivated by a book by Alan Watts called The Meaning of Happiness, which is, it was actually named something else when he published it, but they republished it and they named it that, which realistically, from what I read, they named it that just because it would sell more copies. I mean, with a name like that, Everybody with a freaking set of eyes is going to buy it, but it's a pretty deep book and we wanted to discuss it on the podcast because I think it holds a lot of the keys that people miss when they're doing the inner work or spiritual stuff or whatever you want to call it. So the thesis of the book, what I would say to sum it up quickly is In order to get anywhere in life, and I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter and just in the stuff I write, the way to get what you, or the way to live a life in the more perfect way is to be able to accept where you are right now in order to not be where you are right now. That's probably the easiest way to put it. So you have to be in a position where you could take stock of what's going on right now. And in the midst of taking that stock, then you can hit a point where you could get to somewhere else. So an example would be not to give up, not to just throw in the towel. This is how my life is. Nothing can change. It's to be in a position where you can say, this is where I'm at now. These are the parts. These are the pieces. And because of that, I'm now in a position where I can make change. So the first thing we'll start off with, Nick, is I think the word acceptance is extremely hard for people, especially more of what they would call alpha type males or alpha type personalities, because it has the kind of tinge of acceptance equals defeat acceptance means stagnation it means sitting around and being cool with how things are because there's no way you could change them but after reading this book i look at acceptance as i said as more of a in an extreme realism in order to not be at the whim of your present situation which may not be that good so what's your version of acceptance nick my version of acceptance would be I would use a different word I think a lot of people are really thinking a different word when they use it and that is um, acknowledgement 
So, you know, the, an easy, you know, common example is, hey, man, I'm, I'm getting fat. I've been sitting on the couch too much. Take your shirt off, look in the mirror, you know, accept where you are. Igno you know, and that means acknowledge. Okay, I got a bit of a pot belly. I can clearly see I got an extra 10 or 15 pounds here or there. I'm not going to, and you made a great point. I'm not going to just accept it in the colloquial sense and say, oh, well, too bad. I'm a little bit fat. I guess I'll go sit back on the couch. No, I'm going to accept it, to your point, in the manner of acknowledging it. Because once I acknowledge it, now I can choose a path to alter that. Eat less, go to the gym, whatever combination you choose to use. But, you know, I, I think it's commonly almost used as two different words in the English language. And that's actually a problem in the English, English language. There's a lot of overlap of meanings. So in this case, you have a word in the English language that is really being used in two very different ways to say, I'm going to let go of this and not take action versus I'm looking at this and I'm seeing what's there. Yeah, and that's actually, I was thinking before the podcast that there's probably a better word for it. I didn't think of that word, so you're exactly right. It's acceptance probably could come off as you were kind of saying as almost like a defeat i mean it would be kind of easy to hear that word and think yeah this isn't really the right word to use but acknowledgement's a better word because it's being aware as i always try to say online of what you have i think the problem is my opinion is that what people do is the second they acknowledge or the second they become aware of something, they're immediately hit with an emotional reaction or a feeling. And in the midst of that, they automatically deny, they push it away, they repress it, they push it down. And I think that's why people don't acknowledge anything. I think that's the answer to, to all of it. That, that's why we don't acknowledge. That's why we don't accept. But it would be safe to say, and I put this in my newsletter tonight, where if you're in a position that's not good and then you say, I want to get to a position that's better, how that's the difference between power and force, as Hawkins says. How would you ever get out of your current position without acknowledging it? It's like looking at the enemy in the face and being like, yeah, I know you can kill me, but it's not going to stop me. If you don't do that, you're in a position of weakness. So it's being able to to acknowledge and say it but i think that we have a big problem even with acknowledgement because it brings up such an emotional thing such a reaction and everybody's based off of emotional reactions nowadays well i mean you nailed it i mean two easy examples is you know watch two minutes of any movie from the 40s or 50s and watch how both males and females, it doesn't matter the difference in the sex or the gender, how they both behave. It, you'll see both parties saying things casually in a movie, you know, mimicking modern, I guess, contemporary accepted conversation for the time period of the movies that would just make people lose their mind now. Like, yeah. um, a neighbor of mine, she's an older woman, and I stopped by her house the other day and she was watching, I don't even know what it was, some like 40s movie. And honestly, I stopped and watched for a minute because there, you know, once again, entirely not politically correct, there is a part of boy in the scene. 
and you know comes through the scene and the woman's just like oh that's the stupid boy from down the street it, it's not meant to be mean it's and it's everybody accepts it for what it is it, you know maybe not nice language but the point is is in that time frame in our society people they responded emotionally as a secondary response they looked at the information content as the initial response so even if they don't agree with your words yes your your information content is accurate so yeah i rambling a little bit but that's exactly your point here is that today society has just shifted to respond in the opposite way it's and we're all guilty of it i mean hey i've been there and had a, a few extra pounds i had to get rid of you look in the mirror and yeah your first thought is i don't i don't want to look at my extra weight in the mirror like yeah. nobody does it, yeah. it's you know but you have to look at it and say well yeah that's what it is okay well great i'm gonna get up tomorrow morning and start my new routine yeah and the funny part is is from a very bare bones sense, how would you ever fix anything if you don't acknowledge it? You know, it's like if, if we just had no sense perception and we couldn't acknowledge anything, you'd never have a choice to lose the weight. So at the very bare bones work, I would, I feel like we're naturally set to accept, but because we want the outcome now, we don't want to accept shit. So it's this kind of, long-range view that kind of mixes in with the present but we don't want to see the present because the present isn't always good and this ties into this kind of living in the now thing that you always hear about in the spiritual community and it's another point that he says that west says in the book where he's like you know the east is not the west and (laughs) you know i it's funny because when you start going down this rabbit hole with this stuff and you start asking the big questions, you start doing the inner work, you start really, I would say, the true definition of mastery, which is knowing thyself, you know, knowing your internal world, the good, the bad. And Watts also says this, the gods and the demons, the subconscious, you have to know it. But living in the East is different than living in the West. And the definition of living in the now, so to speak, in order to make change for the quote unquote future, you're going to have to look at some things that aren't that good. And I think in the West, it's more, what will we say, pronounced. It's, It's more obvious. And he makes a point in the book that if you walk around all day and your mind's going a million miles an hour, that's actually part of your experience. So this is something that's not talked about in the Eastern text necessarily because they're not living the lifestyle that we're living. So they're, they may have an overactive mind, but it's pretty easy to sit, well, easier to sit in the Himalayas and have a quiet mind than in the middle of New York city. So it's a good point because even if we were to sit here and be open to acceptance, what we have to accept or awareness or acknowledgement is a lot more than probably what other countries have to acknowledge. So therefore, Nick, we don't want to acknowledge anything. You know, it's like sticking your hand into the fire because we're living in the middle of a fire, you know? Right. So I think I would 
take the initial thing you said one step further. I think it's more than just being able to sit in Himalayas. You know, I think you could take somebody who's in the middle of, you know, 100 mile an hour Beijing crowds and traffic's really no different than New York City. And the difference would still be the same for them. It's at a very, very deep cultural level that their differences occur. And I know we've spoken about this before. <clears throat> in my uh, my personal assessment, and I'm, I'm no guru here by any means, is that, and you know, Watts, uh, Baines, and a few others talk about this in uh, some sense. But the West is more just the inherent base characteristics of Western culture is more, you have to become the flame. You don't master it. You have to learn to become it so that you can be the calm in the center of it or the raging noise on the outside. Whereas the East, that does not work for them. Just as for them, they have to become that perfect calm outside of the flame. Yeah. In... And it's just different cultures. And you can look in Africa. Africa has a very different, you know, just at a fundamental cultural level. So go ahead. Yeah, it's it's a good point because the reason why I'm bringing this up with the East and the West and the reason why this is important is a lot of the stuff that we're getting, even when you look at the whole like motivational mindset and, you know, frames and all these things that I am very vocal about online, it, you know, a lot of this stuff is rooted, you know, even something like stoicism, they've called kind of like Buddhism with teeth, you know, it's rooted in different places, but these different places, as you said, they're not necessarily living the flame. And that's a good point because in this book, he says, you have to realize that if life is kind of this expression of everything, meaning duality, this and that, I'm guilty on Twitter, on my, in my writings to say, you know, kill the mind, remove the problems and all this stuff. And I think I was trying to say something else, but I couldn't put it into words at the time because what it is, is it's not really getting rid of anything it's like you said it's being the you know the eye of the hurricane so to speak everything's going crazy on the outside but it doesn't really matter on the inside because if you you can't run from what the west is if you're sitting in this you know most people nine to five families and all this stuff you enter into a form of almost spiritual escapism because you're saying, well, I want to get to a higher place. I want to transcend this and do that and do this. But really what you're saying is I don't like where I'm at now. So I'm going to use a mindset, a frame, a philosophy, uh, meditation or whatever to escape where I'm at now. And I've been to a couple of these seminars where it is just so blatantly obvious that no one in there has any clue what's going on. They're just trying to escape the fact that, well, I'm miserable during the week, but I should be more loving and I should be more outgoing and I should be this twin flame with my partner and just this heap of garbage that they're using <laughs> just to get away from it. And he says that in the book and I, I never, I never, was a the thing with Watts is he's taking the East and the West and putting into one, but he's doing it in philosophical terms. 
as you know, because you've read a lot of his stuff, you've sent me videos and links, and that's in some ways how I really started getting into him. And a lot of people don't like that, but he's breaking things down to what I would say to the normal thinking man. And some of his stuff, it is difficult to kind of put together, but in a lot of ways it's not. So my point is, we have to know the difference essentially between acceptance, acknowledgement, and escaping. Because even in some of the stuff that we've read and things that we've interacted with, there's a lot of kind of, I'm here, I'm looking at something else, whatever it is, you know, some sort of content. So I kind of want to be there. It's like, but that in itself is the problem. Because you're creating like a, I call it like a pressure point because you're saying, well, I want to have a quiet conscious or I want to have a clear head all day. But then the minute it's not clear, you've created a pressure point because now you're trying to make it clear, you know, so that's the, that's what you're saying about the flame. And that's what he's saying in this book is that enlightenment, awareness, being awake, all of these things is being okay with how things are right now because if you believe in God or the source or whatever word, the expression of that meaning living life involves those things. Yeah, definitely. I, I think your, uh, your description of the eye of the hurricane was probably better and very apt in a number of ways because, <clears throat> you know, to your point, especially the, the nature of the culture of the West and the dynamics inherently associated with the people of the West is that you're always going to have this, this buzz of life all around you. That's just the nature of the West, you know, whether it's my work or whatever else. And there's always going to be things you don't like or you want to change or that bother you. And Watts touches on this. And, you know, this is a key point. And I think kind of defines the concept of being the eye of the hurricane is that you don't change the world or anything in the world by changing the world. You change the world, anything in it, by changing yourself first. An easy example is the gym. Well, I don't want my body to look like this. I want it to look like X. Okay. Well, you know, this is an easy example to comprehend. I go to the gym and I, I make decisions. I perform certain actions and over time I gain certain results. That's an easy example. Uh, one that's less obvious perhaps would be, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't like the dynamic of my children. They fight a lot over really silly things and it, it's not good. Okay, well, yes, they need some guidance, but realistically, especially as a parent, the first thing you need to do is look at yourself, both yourself and your wife, you know, yourself, your spouse, whatever, because if they're interacting like that, part of it is probably them, but part of it is somehow, somewhere, they are also feeding off of you, even if it's a very small degree. So you need to find that and change that, and then you can magnify that into the change you want in the world. But to do that, you had to identify that piece and change yourself first. Yeah. And it, you know, it, I, yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, you know, we have used the description before of, you know, you're at work and something's going wrong, you know, a supervisor, or boss, somebody's upset with you, you know, you can control that interaction to a point by altering your response to it. So you alter you first and then the world follows. You know, you want to carve a statue. How do you change a rock into a statue? Well, you change you first. You know, you decide to take those actions, you physically get the tools, you've changed your behavior, you've changed your pattern. Whether you realize it or not, you have made that change internally first before externally. And, you know, that ties directly to the hurricane because you know, if you're into science or weather at all, you know that the eye wall of the hurricane is the key to the entire structure. So any alterations to that eye wall propagate throughout the entire storm. So that's how you either build up a hurricane or you disrupt it, is by modifying that eye wall, the very center of it. And, you know, the thing I keep thinking about is changing yourself or changing your insides before an external situation changes is also another version of acknowledgement. It's, it's, it's being in a position because, okay, because this is kind of, We'll spin off into this real quick because I was actually thinking about this for a, a whole topic for a podcast, but it ties in here. When people talk about, and he says this in the book also, they talk about essentially you need to concentrate more on, we'll call it your inner world instead of being at the whim of your external world. But that is a very difficult concept to take in when you're starting down this path. And I can remember, it was probably two and a half years ago, started reading all the books, looking into all the stuff, getting into the metaphysics of it, all these, basically, psychology wasn't answering my questions, and at the time, philosophy wasn't either. So, it's circling back around a little bit to philosophy, but it wasn't answering my questions. And one thing that kept popping up was this idea of nothing can harm you if, you in, if your internals are right. You would also hear the people in the East say, you know, once you find that internal source, you can never quote unquote die. And what what they mean by that is not that the physical body won't die. Essentially, what they're saying is you won't care. It won't be a focus as it is, because that's like the fear that runs our whole lives. So let's touch on real quick. Let's go a little deeper in this concept of kind of your internal world your to your external like what so a perfect example and people listen to this are are dealing with this as we all have go in a little deeper with the idea of your boss so you're in a job you don't like the job you're making plans to change i mean most people deep down are kind of plot i mean a lot of them aren't but they're plotting to make change but how, if we were to sit here, Nick, and tell someone that you could be at a job that you don't like, we're not saying that you need to stay there, but let's say you're plotting to leave, but right now you can't, how, and they have some boss that's just a complete asshole, he's just, you don't want to be around him. So how does somebody use their internal center to be able to quote unquote control a situation like that, go into that a little deeper. 
Okay. It's as you well know, it, it's no different than learning to swim, riding a bike or learning to walk. If any of us really remembered that it, it's going to take practice. There's going to be trial and error, but the first step is just being aware of your own reaction. So you have this asshole boss, you know, for whatever reason, you know, when you walk in on Monday morning, they're going to go on a rant or rampage about something. That's actually a really easy place to start because you know, it's coming and okay. I know normally when this happens, I get really pissed because he does or says X, Y, or Z. Great. Now you've identified your normal response that you just let happen. So the first step is realize you are going to feel like that because your body is going to do what your body is going to do. Biology has essentially programmed your body to do this because it's kept us alive as a species for millions of years. You're not going to change that overnight, but now you have a choice because you know it's coming. It's kind of like if somebody throws water in your face unexpectedly, you jump through the roof. But if you know it's coming, even if it's annoying, you're just going to stand there and then wipe it off your face. Same sort of thing. You, you know how your body's going to respond. You understand the emotional front that's going to be fed to you by the other party. So it most certainly takes effort at times. You know, none of us are walking Buddhas, <clears throat> but you can choose to say to yourself walking in, okay, so today I just need deep, uh, breathe deeply and just focus on getting done what I need to get done. Let them say what they need to say and move on. It, one place a lot of people get caught up is just, especially in the West, culturally, you we always need to respond when you really don't. So if your supervisor, your boss, or somebody's upset with you, a lot of times that one of the most effective ways to end the encounter is you don't have to sit there in perfect silence because that can just cause more issues. But you can say, okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it. You're not ignoring them, and now, you know, we've gotten to this before. If you react to their energy, you're giving up your own energy. That's why you're going to feel tired after an argument because you've given all your energy into that argument. Versus, I hear you. I understand. May I go on to my next task? You haven't given them energy. You haven't fed them. You haven't allowed them to escalate. And you know, you've been breathing deeply, and now you can move on to the next step. It's really kind of, you know, if you were to break it down even more, it's what do you gain? And he, this is another line from the book. What do you gain by reacting to somebody in that situation? I mean, you could, you could say just, I mean, bare bones, like just somebody, you know, giving you advice, nothing special about it. What is being gained by that? Because what we do is we say, well, if I react, something's going to change. But anyone that's ever worked in a situation with policy or whatever it is, um, it doesn't matter what you say. That stuff isn't going to change. <laughs> you know, and like you said, in the West, we have this outlook of, well, I need to be tough. I need to say something. And with social media, everybody's got a voice now. The problem is it doesn't matter. Your voice is not going to change every single situation. It may change some, but it's not going to change them all. So it's a good point you brought up because the whole time I'm thinking when you're talking, I'm like, well, 
nothing is gained by someone doing all these things that they naturally want to do. And it, you know, as far as reacting and it ties into another point that Watts makes in the book, which is, I, I feel it may be talked about in certain books and certain teachings, but it's, it's not worded in a way that someone in the West can always understand it, but it's the acceptance that that stuff is there. So I know what my triggers are personally. I could, I could think of two right now off the top of my head. There's just some of it's because of my past. Some of it is because of, I'm sure, neurological, you know, frameworks and kind of pathways that have been built over the years. And I don't like situations that are full of a, a lot going on. I'd rather be in a calmer situation. I don't need a million things going on, you know, walking to an, walking to a house, you know, dogs are barking, TVs, loud music's on computers. On. It's like, it's just too much. I don't like it. It's a trigger. But here's the thing is most people don't even know that because like you said, I know that. So if I walk into the situation, that knowing gives me what it gives me choice. So what he says in this book is that you don't want to be in a position as a lot of these, this, these writings will tell us to where you're denying all that because when I it, denying essentially your quote unquote demons, the good, the bad, the subconscious, some things that in a lot of ways you can't change, you know, when you dream at night and you have some just messed up dream, you, you can't really <laughs> control that. And I've woken up some days and thought, my gosh, like that is just, that's insane. But I didn't, you know, it, these are, this is part of the experience of being on this earth. I mean, that's, that's part of it. So in the book, what he's saying is life is not, life in a lot of ways is duality. But the reason why it's duality is because we're defining it as duality. It's still part of the whole. An overactive mind is still part of living in this life. If you're driving down the street and you see someone and you're talking shit about them in your head, that's actually part of life. That's part of everything that's going on right now. That's why it's going on. But we have anxiety, and this was part of his thesis too, because we add a resistance to that. In, in other words, I shouldn't be talking about this person. I shouldn't be mad in traffic. I shouldn't be having dreams or doing whatever. And we add that tension. The minute you add that resistance, you create that tension, you create a pressure point. And that becomes the problem, not the guy walking down the street or the bad traffic or anything like that. We add so many layers that we make those pressure points. And he's one of the only authors that I've read that is actually like, well, your bad things are part of the whole. But what happens is, is when you make that part of the whole and you're not always trying to escape from it, it becomes less of a problem. There's like a little trick for the mind where if you're laying in bed at night and your mind is going a million miles an hour and you can't sleep, someone like me who's had sleep problems for many years, if you lay there 99% of the time and you say, okay, go ahead, the mind's just spinning. You go, okay, go ahead, just go. Just spin. 99% of the time, your mind will stop because you're fueling <laughs> it. 
You don't know you're fueling it, but you're fueling it. And then if you go a level deeper and you say, well, what is talking so much? What is the mind? What what it what is going so crazy right now? That's what Ramana Maharshi talks about. Go to the source. What is it? It'll stop there too because you can't find an answer. So my last point on this point, and I want to hear what you have to say about it, is a lot of where I was when I started down this path was more in the outlook of it doesn't need to be like this. It's somebody like you who's my friend, you know, you know the progression that I've gone through is I'm thinking it doesn't need to be like this as far as torture, overactive mind, all these pressure points. So in theory, it can stop right now. In theory, you'll wake up one day and click, boom, bang, everything is gone. Not, I don't know, you want to call that enlightenment, you want to call it whatever, but we're essentially living in belief systems, which means that we cannot live in them. But now after reading this book and doing some more studying, I mean, time has gone on, I look at it as more, that's, that's force, that's not power. That's trying to remove and push and modify and all these things instead of saying, no, that is part of my life right now, but it doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever. And that ties back to the first point, which is acknowledgement and acceptance is not doing nothing. So the question I, or the, what I want to put towards you is there's a big difference between accepting these things as part of the whole or part of life instead of constantly trying to change life, as you said in the last point, which causes this tension. So what's your thoughts on that? So... I think that there are two main takeaways. The first, I'll use imagery almost everybody's familiar with. I think pretty much everybody has seen the pictures. There are many versions of them, of the lighthouse in the middle of a storm. You see these just terrifyingly large waves just crashing over a lighthouse. It doesn't care. It sits there through the most terrifying of storms and is none the worse for the wear doesn't matter whether the sea's calm or raging, it's a lighthouse. It sits there. That's it. <clears throat> now, if you think of the lighthouse, think it has some limitless number of doors all up and down. If those, and in real life, this is more or less how it works. If those doors are open, the lighthouse gets flooded. You have problems, you're not stable. So the key for each of us, and some of us will have similar doors, some of us will have different doors, and different doors will come about at different points <clears throat> as you progress and just as your position and state in life changes. But you have to identify what your doors are. You know, for example, one of your doors may, you had used a great example. You come home, you know, long day at work, you're tired, you're stressed, whatever. And the house is chaos, dogs, kids, whatever, all, all going crazy. Okay, well, you need to figure out how to close that door. Maybe you need to stop outside the house, breathe deeply for 30 seconds, and center yourself. Maybe it's something else, whatever it is. But figure out how to close that door. Because when you walk in, you need to be that lighthouse. The world can rage around you. 
but that's the world. The world will always do that. Some days it'll be calm. Some days it will be 100-foot tidal waves. It's irrelevant to you. Your door is closed, so you're completely stable. That energy, it's not going to come into you. You have the choice to just let it flow past you, whether it's an argument with a boss, a crazy house when you come home, you know, some random guy on the street who's had a bad day and is yelling at everybody, whatever it may be. <clears throat> and then the other aspect to it is, you know, taking your time and being patient with yourself because it, it literally is like learning to ride a bike or swim or anything else, you know, especially in the West. We have essentially all grown up in a society that is taken us down the exact opposite pathway philosophy wise than what we're talking about here. So you're, there are days where you're going to nail it and say, dude, I'm one step away from Buddha. And then, you know what, the next week is going to be a disaster and you're going to say, dude, this stuff is garbage. Why am I wasting my time? What am I doing? You know, if you've ever watched a kid learn to ride a bike, they bust their butt for like, you know, the first two, three weeks. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they're riding like they've been doing it forever. So you'd have to be patient with yourself and, you know, to use that term again, accepting of yourself that yes, sometimes, you know, your wife says something that sets you off. So the first time she says it, you're great. You know, you let it pass. You say, you know what? I don't really need to react to that. You let it go. She says something similar, the same thing a little bit later, and it just catches you off guard. You're already a little bit tired and, and you snap back and you have an argument. Okay. Well, you did good because you let the first one float by, even though the second one didn't flow by, even though you haven't entirely closed that door yet, that's okay. Take that as a lesson. And once again, don't let, don't let that energy compound on you. You have to remember that you have the choice, whether it's positive or negative energy. And the inverse of this is true as well. The same thing can happen with positive energy is that we are so focused on the chaos around us. And lots of people say this in lots of different ways. This is no grand thought of my own, but you know, whether it's a little girl seeing a flower and that just making her whole day or your spouse, husband, wife, whatever comes home and is like, hey, you know, I had this really great thing go on today. Focus on that, even for five seconds. You know, literally just count to five and literally just focus your attention, your entire energy on nothing but that. And just see some of the changes that occur because it goes both ways. The door, I'm talking about the door being closed, and that generally refers to negative energy. But the same doors have to be open to the positive aspect as well, coming back to the duality. I mean, if you really want to get deep, it gets kind of weird and crazy because now you're talking about doors having to be open and closed at the same time. But it's the same concept. So, you know, keep yourself open to the good things and close to the bad things, meaning they just wash over you. You don't allow them into yourself. Yeah, there was something I read once that said it was along the lines of don't look at life as something that's happening to you. Just look at it as something that's happening. You know, this it, it's always like you said, it's taken personal. We've got our doors open because we think that life is essentially trying to screw us. So 
if you look at it in with the outlook of life is just happening because that's how it happens, you know, there's a different outlook because that's the same with the kind of argument with nature. You know, if you're sitting in your house with a broken leg, the leaves are still falling, weather's still moving, everything's still going the way it goes. If you're up in here writing a book report or something, the leaves are still falling, the wind's still going, the, you know, weather's still going. That was something else he said in the book is everything is moving the way that it moves. And it's a representation of our inner lives too, because that's how the external, even though this is very dual is kind of a representation of what's happening in the internal. So I think it's extremely interesting. Like when you were talking about how we create a lot of the positions that we're also trying to get out of, because if you walk into a crazy house, as I've done before and my, and the funny thing is my house is not crazy at all. I mean, you know, about my personal life, it's not, there's really not much going on on the mountain on purpose. That's how I design it. But if you walk with that door open, the question has to be, why is the door open in the first place? Because what I'm thinking is you have to be in a position, as we've said, to where even if one day you're the Buddha and the next day you're not, it basically doesn't matter because the days that you're not are still part of the day, if that makes any sense. You know, it's still part of it instead of us being in this position of because if we talk about the analogy with the door open and closed, even if the doors open or the doors closed, there's still a door, you know, and that door would be life. So I think a big takeaway from the book was that he's telling us that these things are part of everything. They're part of our daily experience. They're not necessarily good or bad. It's just, you know, th- I mean, you know this, Nick, this is just a duality conversation. I mean, th- this is, I would argue that people need to be less concerned about the duality and they need to be able to play in the polarity. That's kind of what I would say. They have to be in a position where that space between the poles allows them to live you know oh without question and you know that's if you start going to the more extreme end of things that's where the difference in the east and the west becomes you know so major is in the east you have you know the monk who goes and locks himself away in the in his monastery in the mountaintop and maybe you'll see him again in 30 years maybe not you know there have been versions of that done in the West, but it, it doesn't really fit. It's not the nature of the West. The na- as we, I won't go all back into it, but the nature of the West is that, you know, you're always part of that buzz of that activity. So you have to find the center within, not outside of it. Yeah. And I was a good point with those guys, you know, that are in the East that are going to the caves and doing all the stuff that's not right or wrong. And in the West, we're very quick to say, well, that's not realistic, whatever. No, it is realistic in their environment. Them going off and doing that stuff, which is where a lot of these teachings have come from, you know, the the foundation of a lot of them, 
that's what they're supposed to do over there. But the big, you know, this book, by the way, this meaning of happiness book was written in the forties. The guy was like, you know, 25 (laughs) years old or something. I mean, it's, this was a very, what I would call enlightened human being. And I don't mean enlightened in the commercial sense, but you know, the missing link. And I think that we need to do a part two on this next, because if we open this can now, we're going to be here for six hours. But the missing link is how does somebody in the West actually find their version of the cave, their version of the Himalayas? You know, he is an author. Watts was making that bridge. His thesis was more or less acceptance. But that acceptance does come with some sort of action. And that's what we do in the West. And that's kind of like Baines, you know, in his book, it was The Spiritual Science, I think. Um, that's the name of the book, right, Nick? That was a, the first one, Spiritual Science? Uh, I think it is. Um, let's see. I have a couple of his... Oh, no. It's see. the secret science. I just yeah, looked. This, this, secret, secret science. science. That's the one I have next to me. Yeah. So in that book, and we'll just touch on that for a minute, and then we'll go here. But he was putting forth, in my opinion, kind of a hermetic argument or thesis towards don't go off into the cave, but have your center and use it in a productive way, which obviously if you're looking at the real deep Eastern text, it's not that they weren't necessarily productive, but that's not what they're preaching. And I think that that's kind of what Watts was saying in this book, even in the forties is there is a way to have an internal center, be aware, be enlightened, be accepting, be, you know, acknowledging things, but it does come with a form of action and that action is our version of the cave or not the cave, but you know, being in the Himalayas, meditating for 30 years, whatever it is, that's our version of it. So just to end it off, Nick, uh, you got, I mean, how does somebody, we'll just touch on this quick. I've I've said we need to do part twos to basically every podcast, but this one's going to really need (laughs) one. So, Is it fair to say that acknowledgement or acceptance, and we kind of already said this, comes with its own version of action and really has nothing to do, you know, it has nothing to do with accepting and stopping. That's the point I'm trying to make. Right. So the difference is, I guess to use the colloquial terms, is you have traditional acceptance, which fine, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing or acceptance in parallel with acknowledgement. Okay, I, I see I need to lose 10 pounds. I accept that, but I also acknowledge it so that I will take action internally to initiate a change outwardly. Yeah, okay. And it, it ties into, and we'll hit on this on the next one on part two, but it ties into why people have so many problems with the stuff in the East or the spiritual stuff or you know not that they have problems with it personally but they have problems following it 
because it comes off as just accept everything it is, sit in the stands and just watch the game being played. But that's not actually what they're saying at all. So what no. we'll do, what we'll do, Nick, is in part two, we'll try to bring in because you're you're very well versed with Baines and stuff. In part two, we'll do it this week. We're gonna tie in some more of the like the secret science stuff that what I would call basically like hermetic action. So we'll tie into that guys on part two and we'll do it in the next few days, Nick, if you're open and we'll kinda I'll let you kinda lead that one because you've got a lot of experience with him. Okay. You know, the the one piece I would add about Alan Watts is that <clears throat> I love his stuff, but He's interesting, and I, I think he's a more extreme example than Baines is, is that you can read Alan Watts when you're first starting to dig into this stuff and take one thing away from it, at least for me anyway. When I first started listening to his stuff, I would be like, okay, I'm taking something away from this, and then I'd be like, okay, he's just kind of repeating the same stuff and being flowery with it. And then you know, I came back to it much later after I'd gone well beyond that. And it was like listening to something entirely new. Yep. yep. So th- there are at least two or three different levels to Watts. So realistically, wherever you are, you can listen to him now, but realize, come back to him at some point, and you're going to take away something entirely different. And neither one is wrong. It's you're taking away what, what you're ready to process. Yeah, and that's a great point because – so The Meaning of Happiness was the first book I read of his – just finished it and I started the wisdom of insecurity essentially a couple days ago and I'm sitting there listening to this book and I'm like man you know you think that his books and his books are a lot more in depth than his YouTube stuff because I've watched them both and you're sitting there listening to I mean I'm listening to one of them on audible and I'm like you know you think that this wisdom of insecurity is going to be some little self-help like positive pamphlet for people to pick up after whatever seminar they go to for the week. And let me tell you, it's not like there is some deep (laughs) stuff in there and you nailed it because I didn't know how to put it, but he's got about, and they've done this. I mean, we're not going to go into this, but they've done this, you know, obviously in esoteric stuff where there's about three different levels in that. It's some of the stuff that he's saying, I'm like, man, I could have listened to this a year ago and be like, wow, I feel great. He's making great points. But now with kind of an expanded palette, I'm like, this guy is speaking like life's mysteries. I mean, this is like the stuff that, you know, they were hiding from people because they didn't think they could handle it. But he's not outright saying it. You know, <laughs> so now, you know the East has their own versions of the same thing. I mean, they he gives some of the examples too. And the first, I remember the first time he goes into some of the, you know, recorded uh, whether you want to call them uh, fables or stories of, you know, historic monks and conversations they'd have with initiates. Somebody would come to them and ask them some question, and. I can't remember any of these off the top of his head, but the first time you hear it, it'll be like, okay, so this random initiate tracked down this one monk. He looked for him for 10 years, found him and asked him the one question. And the monk said, cut off your hand. And the guy was like, what? And you're like, okay, I don't get the point of this story. Honestly, it sounds stupid, but okay, maybe it's an Eastern thing. You come back later after absorbing enough 
some, maybe some are just still beyond me. Some I'm still kind of like, eh, I'm not getting this, so I'll leave it be. But a lot of them, now I can hear them and say, you know what? I completely get it, but it's encoded without intending to be encoded. It's if you're advanced enough, you'll get it. If not, you won't. Yeah, he he does that a lot in the Meaning of Happiness book. He said he was talking about the same thing, and it was something like, you know, a guy's he's just looking for nirvana. He's, what do I do? What do I do? And the master, whoever, was like, go look at a stream. And then, like, the chapter ends. And, you know, and I know what they're talking about. <laughs> look at a stream because water, that's the whole definition. Water moves. Water molds with its environment. You know, there's about 40 different meanings to that. But he mentions in there, and this is what we'll end it on, but he mentions in there that the entire point of a lot of these Eastern philosophies was they wanted you to think so you would experience it. In the West, we want an intellectual experience. In the East, it's all about experience. That's what the Buddha was teaching was, hey, don't listen to me. I think the Buddha never talked about God and all this stuff. It was just you experience it. And, you know, you do. And it. you know what? That That's another great illustration of the difference in the East and the West is, you know, those um, Eastern approaches, great. Go for it. Works great for the East. You know, even at very high levels, those have never really worked well for the West because we're not them and they're not us. Yep. And it's just, so, it's like we that, said. I'll, I'll leave it be. Yeah, it's it's like we said, there's not, we're not in the position to where we could be that. So instead of us sitting here and fighting it, which is what these people are doing in the seminars, and they're just, they're walking around saying love and oneness and light and all this stuff over and over, <laughs> but they're, it's not that that stuff isn't true. It's that they're saying it to escape. But they're not, if an Eastern master comes to the West, you're not going to be him because you still got to jump on that plane and go home at the end of the seminar. So that's the point. I mean, that's what we're saying. So anyway, all right, guys, in the next few days, we'll do part two and we'll go into a little deeper into how to do this kind of on like you know, how to, how to, we'll go from acceptance and acknowledgement to more or less action, which I think Baines describes really well, especially in the secret science book. So, all right, guys, thanks for listening. This episode of the painted target podcast was brought to you by awareness integrations. Only you care about your problems. The painted target is also sponsored by grave delay athletics apparel that says I'm going to live well and cheat death. <laughs>